Thanks, John. Well, good morning. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors and uh, delighted to be able to open the scriptures with you here this morning. Also, happy spring break uh, for those of you that have kids in school. Uh, you're here, which means either you ran out of money or you just decided Arizona is the most beautiful place in the world in March. And so uh, thanks for being here and, and glad that you're with us. And uh, we're going to be encouraged, I think, as we look at God's word here today. If you're just joining us, we are in a series where we're studying the book of Mark, and we'll do this really uh, pretty much all year until about Advent season. Uh, We're just going to take a chunk of scripture at a time and just work through it. And we've seen just some really interesting things as as we've begun in the Gospel of Mark. We've been looking in chapter 1, and what we saw was that Mark is writing an account of Jesus' life to try to get us to know who Jesus is. The the reason we have four Gospels, we've said this along the way, is because it's as though God had a documentary project where what he did was he gave four different people a bunch of raw footage of Jesus' life. And he said, I want you to arrange this content in in a way, make a documentary about Jesus' life that says something, that tells people who he is. Which is why you get a little bit different emphasis in each of these four Gospels. When Mark's Gospel, he's emphasizing that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what we've been seeing. And Jesus makes an announcement about that in uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the Gospel. I was reading uh, one person this week who was making a really interesting case that when we see the phrase kingdom of God, that it might actually be better translated the reign of God. That it isn't just this sort of kingdom that not, nothing active happens in, but it's, it's actually God's reign, God's rule, God's initiation, God's lordship overall. So when Jesus says the reign of God is at hand, the reign of God is near, God is moving in. He says, therefore, repent and believe the gospel. Reorient your whole life around me. That's what it means to repent, to do a 180, to trust me in a new and in a meaningful way. Well, Mark is trying to help us to understand who Jesus is, but the other thing he's doing, and this is really important as we sort of uh, continue to study this book, is, is Mark's also trying to give those who follow Jesus, the church, a model, a picture a way of saying this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is, if this is what Jesus was like, and the rest of the scripture calls the church the body of Christ, then not only is this to tell us about Jesus, but it's also to tell us about how we're to follow Jesus. It's a model for how we're to come after him. And so that's a little bit of what we're going to see here today. Now, I, I really like that because I like models. I, I, I love hearing specifically kind of models, examples of people's daily, regular life. I remember a couple months ago, I was uh, sitting with a friend and his family, and, and their oldest daughter uh, started at a new school this year. And I loved sitting with her and saying, so tell me, tell me about the school. Tell me about your day. And, you know, most kids are like, yawn. It's fine. And, you know, conversation over. This, this little girl, she loves to talk and she loves to tell you. And so I, I, I just found it so fascinating to go, what's a day at your school look like? What's a, what's a day in your life? I, I love to have those kinds of conversations. I think sometimes I meet with people and I ask those kinds of questions. They're like, what's wrong with this guy? Like, they go, and I think I do the most boring thing in the world, but he thinks it's interesting. I do think it's interesting. I love hearing what, what's, 
What's it like? I, there's a book that, uh, th- that I love called What's Best Next. It's a, a really good kind of book on productivity and how to get things done. And throughout it, there's these little snippets that talk about a day in the life of different people, different really productive and successful and important people. There were some things on a few different presidents. Wouldn't you love to follow a president around for a day? What is that like? What kind of daily routine do you have to have as a president to not go crazy, right? So I just, I love learning from those models. And apparently I'm not the only one. There's a, there's a book out actually that's called Daily Rituals. Uh, here's a picture of it. I haven't read this, but it's on my kind of wish list, something I want to I look at. What it is, is it's, it's a book that explores um, the daily rituals, the daily habits of 161 different kind of well-known people, artists, philosophers, scientists, politicians, uh, writers, people like that, and looks at what is their daily routine? How do they break down their day? How do they organize their life? Uh, I find that stuff kind of fascinating. Well, some of what Mark is trying to do in this book is say, here's a model of how to live. Here's a model. Okay, if, if Jesus is the Son of God and now we are the body of Christ representing Jesus to the world, here's a model. Here, here's what we do. Here's how we look. Here are the things that need to be part of our lives as Christians individually, but even more as a whole body. And so what I'm going to talk about here today and what we're going to see in this passage as an example to us, don't think of it just in individual terms. Don't think of it just as though you have to do everything that Jesus is doing. Uh, First of all, you can't. Second of all, you were never expected to. But together, collectively, we can imitate Jesus and and the kind of ministry that that we see here. And that really is kind of an example. There's a sense in which we're not going to see a ton of new stuff in this particular passage that we didn't already see last week or the week before. But we wanted to sort of pause and look at this smaller chunk and begin to really apply it and go, what would it look like if we were to model and to imitate this same kind of ministry that Jesus had? And so that's what we're going to see. Jesus was the perfect man. You got to know that. A lot of times you read the things about Jesus and you go, ah, oh, he's God. Right? Like he had this like Superman thing underneath. And you can't do what he did because he's just God. But the reality is, Jesus intentionally, and Philippians 2 makes this very clear, that Jesus set aside his, his glory. Didn't set aside his deity, but he set aside the use of the full kind of prerogative of his deity, and he lived as a man, sinless, that's a big difference between uh, you and him, sinless, full of faith, and full of the Holy Spirit. And so if we have been cleansed from our sin by Jesus, and if we've been filled with his spirit, we're now together empowered to live in the way that he lived. Well, what do we see? What do we see in this passage? We're going to see a few things. We're going to see that Jesus' ministry was marked by hungry prayer, holistic ministry, and a holy motive. Hungry prayer, holistic ministry, and a holy motive. First, hungry prayer. Look at verse 35. There are a few words here that actually tell us that that Jesus' pattern of prayer in this particular passage isn't something that just happened. It didn't uh, just kind of come about. He had to work at it intentionally. Here's what it says. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Notice the words of intentionality in there. Rising very early while it was still dark. He departed. He went out, 
And there he prayed. Even for Jesus, a sinless son of God, even for him, it took intentionality to pray. I don't know about you, I don't drift toward prayerfulness. Some of you, I truly believe this, are much godlier than me. And maybe when I mature to your level, maybe I'll drift there. But I'm not sure I will. Because I, I believe that every day I wake up and the world, the flesh, and the devil attack me just like they do you. And the, the, the busyness of all of that and the attack of all of that, just you don't drift to prayerfulness. You have to work at it. You have to be intentional. And even Jesus, that's what we see here. Jesus has been doing this incredible ministry. He's been healing people. He's been casting out demons. He's been preaching the gospel, the good news of the reign of God. He's been doing all this. And still for him, in order to get away and pray, he's got to do it intentionally. He has to get up early. He has to go out of the busyness, out of the distraction, off to a desolate place. To the wilderness is really what that word means, that he went off to a place where he could just be by himself. It was there that he prayed. Now that word prayed is written in a, in a Greek tense that tells us that, that this wasn't a short prayer. This wasn't just a, you know, kind of a five-minute thing. This was an extended prayer. This was a, a long time. He, he went out there and he prayed for an extended period of time, so much so that eventually he gets interrupted by the guys that come in and, and, uh, and see and, and hear what he's doing. But before we go on to, to that interruption, I just want to pause here and see what we need to see about prayer. First, we said this, prayer needs to be intentional. But second, prayer empowers ministry. Prayer empowers ministry and service, even for Jesus, especially for Jesus, right? We, we want to do great things for God. We want to serve the Lord. We want to be a blessing to other people. We want to be kind to others. We want to do good in the world. What's going to give you the power to do that? The same thing that gave Jesus the power to do it, which is prayer. Now, it's, it's fascinating because as you, as you study this, one of the things that, that commentators sort of debate about is whether this was Jesus' normal pattern, like every day he got up at three in the morning to go off to the wilderness and pray. Some people sort of, you know, I think over-spiritualize everything and want to make it sound like that. But what you see as you look at the Gospel of Mark is that there are three instances when Jesus specifically gets up early, goes off into the wilderness to spend time in prayer. And every one of them, what immediately follows that is a period of intense ministry, a period of intense opposition, a period of intense spiritual work that has to happen. And so I think it's entirely reasonable to say that this kind of prayer that Jesus models, this long, extended, I got to make sure I get off by myself, isn't what we have to do every day. I don't think we should live under the burden of if you don't pray for two hours a day, you're not a real Christian. I've heard stories about Martin Luther and about other people in the past, and honestly, I don't believe them. I just don't think, and, it's, and, and it's, okay, you're a monk. That's what you got to do all day, right? What about everyone else? But there should be, in the life of the church and in the life of Christians, intense seasons of extended prayer, particularly before big things happen. Now, Jesus had the advantage of of being able to kind of discern spiritually some of what was going to happen. 
But we can too, if we think about it. We can go, you know what? There's an intense season coming in the life, not just of our church, but churches around the world. It's called Easter. Right? More people, as John said, more people are going to come to church who don't normally come to church. They're going to get to hear the gospel. We should be praying for that. We should spend extended time focused and praying for people related to those kinds of things. And many of you that are just are filled with the Spirit and, and kind of aware of how God works in the world, you do this intuitively. I had a, actually a really interesting a meeting probably, I don't know, it was probably six weeks ago. I was sitting down with, with a, a guy in our church and he said, hey, I got to ask you a question. Don't be offended by this, but I just, I got to ask you, is everything all right with the staff and the leadership with the church? Is everything okay? I said, why? He said, well, don't take this as an accusation, really don't, but my wife and I have just both been really sort of moved to pray for you guys, to, to, to pray that you'd be strong and to pray that you would have unity and to pray that, that things would be okay. And I just, whenever we have kind of moments like that where we really feel like, man, we got to pray for that, I just, it makes me wonder, is, every, is everything okay? And I said, well, actually, it's been, everything relationally between the staff has been great, but we've faced a, an incredible season of, what's felt like spiritual attack. Many of our children waking up in the middle of the night screaming with nightmares that they don't normally have. Dreams that are tempting and ungodly that seem to come out of nowhere. Moments of discouragement and despair and ways that are not consistent with our character and seem to just kind of come out of nowhere. And that, that, that was a few months ago. And I, and I shared that with them and I said, thank you for your prayers. Well, what was going on around that time? Well, we were about to start a five o'clock service where a couple hundred more people have started coming and hearing the gospel and more kids, right? We're continuing to try to be faithful in our ministry. So, so it's not surprising that a, a season like that would, would move God's people to pray. Why? Because the ministry of Jesus was fueled by, and our ministry should be fueled by, hungry prayer. Here's what J.C. Ryle, he's an 18th, uh, 1800s Anglican bishop with an epic beard. Here's what he said about this, about Jesus. He said, Jesus' divine nature did not make him independent of the use of all human methods. His very perfection was a perfection kept up through the exercise of prayer. Do you get that? Jesus didn't just pray because he was divine and sinless. What, what kept him sinless was that he prayed. That's not what kept him divine. Don't get that confused. But what kept him following the Lord was that he prayed. Here's the other thing that's amazing to me about this. You think about, okay, Jesus is the Son of God. What does he need to pray for? Which, you know what that reveals? That reveals that we see prayer mostly as transactional. Jesus needed to get some things from God because that's how we pray. But I think actually here, why does Jesus do this? Because Jesus sees prayer as mostly relational. It's not just transactional. It's not just what can I get. But it's I want to be with my Father. I want to be with God. It's amazing to me how many Christians would fight to the death for the idea that Christianity is about a personal relationship with God. Right? We, many of you who call yourselves followers of Christ, you would, you would say, no, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. 
It's a relationship. It's not, it's not a bunch of things you have to do for God, but it's because of what Jesus has done for you. You now have relationship with God. And so many of us that would fight for that hardly ever pray. Think about this. If that's true, that Christianity is not just a religion, it's a relationship, and that that's what Jesus died to to give us was a relationship with God, then listen, Jesus died for you to give you prayer. Prayer isn't just something you should do. Prayer is what Jesus died for. You go, I didn't think about that. Yeah, think about that. If Jesus died to give you relationship to God, how do you experience that relationship? Prayer. Talking to Him. Hearing from Him in His Word. Thoughtful meditation on who God is. And and pouring your, your life and your heart and your thoughts out to Him. It's a relationship. That relationship sometimes is tense. Read the Psalms. The Psalms are God's prayer book. And they're filled with all kinds of things that make us cringe when we read it. Like, you can't really say that to God. Apparently you can. Why? it's a relationship do we really believe it's a relationship if we do then then let's have that move us to pray let's have that move us as followers of christ to to draw near and to lean in to god to want to spend time with him that's what jesus died for so here's what i want to do and and we don't do this a lot but we have from time to time i want to give us a moment in this service right now to apply what we're talking about we aren't just going to say, hey, let, you know, we ought, to, we ought to pray. Go do that later. Right, that's like, I'm going to, I got a new eating plan. It's, when's it start? Monday. <laughs> right? So we're going to do it now. And so here's what I want you to do. This is going to be just between you and the Lord. You're not going to have to pray out loud or with people you don't know or whatever. But we want to give you just a, a moment here. And I'm going to give us four topics of things to pray for. Each one will go maybe a minute or so, so not super long, but we want to just use these things to prompt you to pray. Listen, this is what Jesus died to give you, is access to God. This is part of our worship. This is part of our praise. This is what we're here for. So here's the first thing that we want to invite you to pray for, is to acknowledge that God is sufficient for your need. I'm going to give you a moment just to acknowledge that, to tell him, to praise him, to tell him that, that God is, that he's sufficient for your need. Give you a moment, I'll kind of close it in prayer and then give you another topic here in just a moment, all right? Go ahead and pray.
Father in heaven, you are sufficient for our needs. You provide for us in ways that are beyond what we can fathom. God, we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's the second thing we want to ask you to pray for is to take a moment and just admit some area of weakness, some area of need. If God is sufficient for you, then he's sufficient for your needs. He's sufficient for your weaknesses. Be honest with him and spend a moment and ask uh, and confess that you need his help. All right, let's pray. Father, I confess my need for you in this moment that I um, don't fully or adequately appreciate um, the depth of who you are, the depth of what you show us in your word. I pray you'd give me and that you'd give us understanding even more into who you are and to who uh, Jesus is and who we are. God, help us in that, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's the third topic is uh, ask God to enable you to be a blessing, to be, uh, God's blessed you to be a blessing, God has been kind to you so that you can be kind to others, ask God to bless that effort. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have blessed us abundantly. You tell us that we're blessed to be a blessing. And so God, help us to bless others with our words, by the way we serve them, by having kind and generous hearts. God, especially help us to bless other people with time and with relationship and with love. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.
All right, here's the last thing I want to invite you to pray for is to pray for three people in your life who need a touch from Jesus, especially those who don't know him, don't trust him, haven't experienced his grace maybe the way you have. Uh, three people in your life that need a touch from Jesus. Go ahead. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the people whose uh, path we've been able to intersect with. God, thank you for the people you've put in our lives. And so many of them, just like us, need a touch from you and need your grace. And so, God, we pray um, that you would move in the lives of, of the people we love and that we care about. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so you already applied the sermon. Way to go. Right? Like you can walk out and go, yes, I, I, make, I made some progress today. You're welcome for that. A um, couple things that maybe just kind of reflecting on that, that exercise there. Uh, one is um, if, those three, if any of those three people are folks that live in town or that are neighbors or friends, people you interact with on a regular basis, I think you ought to consider whether those might be the same people that you should consider inviting to Easter. Right? That's why we've given you these invite cards as if, if that's appropriate, we want you to be able to do it. So we want to give these to you early enough so that you could begin to make those invitations and pray toward that end. Just so you know what Easter is going to be is we're going to, um, bap- we're going to do baptisms, uh, hopefully at every service, which people will get to hear stories of how God's changed people's lives. Um, I'll be doing a sermon that kind of walks from Genesis to Revelation uh, with, with scripture on just what God has done in the world. And it'll be a, it'll be a great thing. It'll encourage people. So, so think about that. Another reflection just that I had as I was, I was sitting there and praying is it's amazing how distracting this is, huh? Any of you feel like you heard every cough and you heard the air on and you heard a baby cry and you heard a door shut and you, did anyone else feel like that? Am I the only one? You all are much better focused than I am. <laughs> and I think that's why Jesus had to get away by himself to pray because it, it just, the world, the flesh, and the devil, everything attacks you at the moment of prayer. Why? Because Jesus died to give you prayer. And so no wonder it's hard to pray. Don't be too discouraged that it's hard to pray. It's hard for everyone to pray, which is why we have to work at it. It's why we have to do it. It's why we have to keep going in it. Jesus was hungry 
for prayer. That's the first thing that marked his ministry. Here's the second thing, is holistic ministry. Holistic. That's the idea of it it was whole. He didn't just care about people's souls. He didn't just care about people's bodies. He cared about the whole thing. Kind of what sets this up is uh, Jesus is interrupted from his praying. Look at verse 36. It says, "...in Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you." Right, so Simon is one of Jesus' disciples. He's also called Peter. Uh, he's one of the main sources that's given Mark information about what's happened. Uh, so, so Mark's recording that. Uh, Simon comes out, and it says in verse 36, they searched for him. This word means that they pursued him. It actually can be translated, they hunted him. Right, so think about this. Jesus is doing this incredible stuff. He's an amazingly popular. People have showed up all over the place to, to show up to the door so that he could be uh, the one to touch them and heal them. And he goes off by himself. And the agenda of Jesus' followers is we got to find him. We got to hunt him down. We got to get to him. And then uh, Simon says this, verse 37 Everyone is looking for you. Everyone's looking for you. Now, what's fascinating about this word looking is this word is used uh, 10 times in the Gospel of Mark, and every time it's used negatively. It's a, it's a negative kind of thing. So let me just give you a few examples. And there are a couple times where it's used, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders that oppose Jesus, uh, tell Jesus that they are seeking for a sign. Same word, looking, seeking. They're, they're seeking for a sign. Come on, Jesus, prove yourself. Let's go. We doubt you. There's a number of times, five times it's used, talking about these same religious leaders who were seeking to kill him. What it has with it, the idea of, of this word, is, is the idea that they're trying to control Jesus rather than submit to Jesus as Lord. Do you get this? There's two ways to seek Jesus. One way is to seek him and to fall down at his feet, as we'll see next week with this leper who says, I have, I have nothing at all. I need a touch from you. That's a good way to seek him. Another way to seek him is to say, Jesus, let's go, buddy. I got an agenda for you. Come on. Right? And that's a lot of often how, how we get, well, Jesus, you're not answering my prayer fast enough. Jesus, I thought that you were good. Right? And we develop this controlling kind of agenda. And Jesus will not have that. Jesus doesn't want that. Already, the disciples of Jesus are getting in the way of what Jesus came to do. And by the way, I think this is another reason why the Bible can be trusted, is that if the main source for this material is Peter, Simon Peter, And he told Mark about this story. Wouldn't you want to keep that story to yourself? Wouldn't you want to go, well, you know, I said Jesus. Why don't we go off to the next towns that you may preach there also, for that is why you came. Right, that's the next verse. But no, he tells it like it is. Why? Because he's been forgiven of his sin. He's been cleansed. He doesn't have to pretend to be something he's not. And the scripture doesn't have to change in order to make it seem like a more appealing story. It can be just true as what happened. That's what took place. Well, they say, everyone's looking for you, and Jesus isn't swayed by that. Verse 38, and he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. What we see here in Jesus is a holistic 
ministry. There are always good words or uh, good works and bold words. We always see that in Jesus' ministry. There's always preaching and healing, proclamation and demonstration. Right in the beginning of Mark, we, we initially saw the proclamation. The kingdom of God, the reign of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And then we saw that Jesus went into a synagogue and he healed a man who was demon-possessed. He cast out the demon. And then he healed Simon's mother-in-law. And then all these people were brought to the door. And he was doing all this healing. And when Simon comes to him and says, Jesus, come on, we're hunting you down. We're looking for you. We, we, let's go. We need more healing. That's basically what he's saying. And Jesus says, no, 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 I didn't come just to heal. I also came to preach. That's what he says. Let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also. That's why I came out. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, there's all these people that want your ministry. There's all these people that want to be healed. Okay, I'm leaving. Talk more about why that is in a moment. But for now, what you need to see is Jesus is not going, okay, well, I'm just going to be a healer. I'm just going to care about people's physical needs. I'll heal a bunch, but I'm not going to really talk much about eternity and the kingdom of God and all that spiritual stuff. Nor does he go the other side, right? And this is, this is what we sort of see even in sort of, uh, you know, churches today and, and really throughout history is churches tend to sort of go one end to the other, right? At the extremes, you would have kind of the extreme sort of preaching church would be like a real fundamentalist church. That would say, we're going to win souls, but, you know, we'll let other people serve the poor. Right? And then you have kind of social gospel churches, real liberal churches that want to take care of people's needs and feed the poor, but they have nothing to say. The ministry of Jesus, and therefore our ministry together as a church, is to be both. Which is why you can come on a day like today. and You can hear preaching, and you can pray, but you can also drop off food as you come through the door for our M25 collection that goes to serve poor people who need uh, food in our community. Right? We, we want to do both. We don't always do it perfectly, but we're trying to do both because that's what Jesus did. It was a holistic ministry. It was a ministry of good works and bold words. Now, at the individual level, we're called to that too, good works and bold words. But what if you take one of those out? Here, here's one example. If, you, if you're a person of good works, but you lack the bold words, you're a coward. Right? You, you're willing to, to serve, you're willing to do good, you're willing to, be, to bless, and then someone comes to you and says, man, why do you give all this time? Why are you so generous? Why are you so different from everybody else? You say, well, that's just how I was raised. Or I'm just kind of, you know, I, I just I want to try to do the right thing. No, be bold, right? When your good works give you an opportunity to testify that it's because Jesus is alive in me. It's because God has forgiven my sin. He's been generous to me. I want to I be generous to others. It, it's good works and bold words. Now, the other way, the other way that, that we can mess up is we can be all about bold words and not do good works. And at that point, you're a hypocrite. Right? You say one thing, you talk a big game, you talk about grace, you talk about love, but then you don't show it. Jesus did both, so should we. Here's a third thing we see about Jesus' ministry here is that it had a holy motive. A holy motive. We've kind of alluded to this already. It's just amazing to me, and we're going to see it all throughout Mark, that as Jesus' popularity soars, he does not do any of the things that we would do with that. Jesus, everyone's looking for you. All right, I'm coming. No, no, no. Jesus goes, they're looking for me? All right, I'm going to the next town. 
Jesus is going to heal a, a man of leprosy next week. And one of the things that you're going to have a chance to reflect on is the idea of he's going to tell him, hey, hey, just go to the priest and tell him about it. Don't tell everyone else. What? All over the place, Jesus is, is doing things that show you he doesn't care about quantity. He cares about quality. Now, I don't particularly like to sort of make those things oppose each other as if quantity always means diminished quality. But if given a choice, what you see here is Jesus is much more interested in going to a few places where he can do this ministry in a way that uh, isn't trying to go, hey, look at me, aren't I important? But he's trying to say, here's the kingdom of God. This is different to us, right? We're in this build your platform, seek your 15 minutes of fame, do whatever you have to do to get the word out. And, and that's not all bad, right? I mean, there's, if, you have a, if you have some, think about it, those of you who are in marketing, those of you in business, right? You have something you believe in, a product, a service, a good. You go, this is good for people. It helps people's lives. It's not wrong to promote that. It's not wrong to seek for a wider audience to get that message out. But it just has to make us stop for a second when we realize Jesus did it a totally different way. What was Jesus' strategy? I'm going to get 12 people. One of them, you know, he's kind of a dud. We'll replace him later. But I'm going to get 12 people, and we're going to change the world. <laughs> yeah, right, Jesus. Come on, don't we? I mean, have you, haven't you thought about social media yet, Jesus? Right? I mean, what about, should we get a Super Bowl ad? What should we do? Like, we got to build your popularity up. And Jesus is going, I, I'm not worried about that. I want to do what God's called me to do. I want to preach. I want to heal. I want to proclaim. I want to demonstrate. I don't trust the fickle approval ratings of people. I want to do what God has called me to do and let him handle the rest. Shouldn't that be our approach? Shouldn't that be our attitude? Now listen, do we want to see a lot of people come to a church like this and hear the gospel and experience the proclamation and the demonstration of it? Sure. But what we're called to be as a church is to go, let's be faithful. Let's do what God's called us to do. Let's trust him with the rest. So that's Jesus' ministry. Hungry prayer, holistic ministry, and a holy motive. Jesus didn't come to sell himself. He came to give himself. That should be our attitude as well. Now, as we said, Jesus changed the world. And we're going to sing a song in a little bit uh, that it's always sort of funny to me. I don't know if you've, if you've thought about this, but we sing a song called We Can Change the World. Right? And it's real upbeat and it's feel like, yeah, yeah, we're going to change the world. And part of me sings it and it's like, really? We're going to change the world? I mean, you, you, me, like seriously, we're going we're gonna to change the world. You've got to be kidding me, right? And yet, 11 men changed the world. How? Because they followed what Jesus did. Right? This is the ridiculousness of the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus used an analogy. He used a parable, and we'll see this later in Mark chapter 4, the parable of the mustard seed. Here's what Jesus said. And what can we compare 
With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. That's the kingdom of God. It's a small little mustard seed. It's insignificant. It's just off in this kind of you know, quadrant of southeast Mesa and Queen Creek. It's just this little seed, and, and it grows. How does it grow? It grows as we're faithful, as we pray, as we proclaim, as we demonstrate, and as we do it all desiring that he would be made much of and that we could be small. That's what we're about. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do ask that you would be here among us in power and that you by your spirit would allow us day by day to humble ourselves in prayer. God, in certain key moments of intensity and of opposition, God, we pray that we would rally and and pray in longer and in bigger and in bolder stretches. But God, help us to daily crave relationship with you, to be hungry for that. God, help us to be people of good works, people of bold words, and help us to do all of it desiring to be small, desiring that you would be made much of. God, that's our prayer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.